Face to the book of Acts. Hey, something new. Book of Acts, chapter 17. And uh, we're going to give... Uh, we're going to give Luke the, uh, the rest of the year off and uh, bring him back in January, and we're going to talk about uh, some other things. But, uh, you know, uh, Luke uh, also wrote the book of Acts, so even when we're not in Luke, we're in Luke, and that's just the way we roll around here. Well, if you turn to the book of uh, Luke, uh, chapter 17, we're going to begin with verse number 16, and we're going to ask the question this morning, what's on your mind? What's on your mind? And that's a dangerous question to ask sometimes because I think after the service, there's probably some of you that's probably going to come up and tell me what's, what's on your mind. But uh, I know, you know, there's like a psychologist, one of the things that uh, what, what they'll do is uh, they'll get like these uh, sheets and these sheets will just have these ink blots on them. And they'll show you these, uh, these sheets full of ink blots and they'll ask you what you see, what that picture looks like to you. And the idea of that is that whatever is on your mind is what you will see. It's just random dots on a page, but there's something that's deep and weighing on your mind, and that's what you'll actually see in that picture. And so me and you, and, and you will all see something different depending on what's on our mind. And so this morning we're going to talk about Paul as he, drive, as he goes through the city of, uh, of Athens, and he is touched by what he sees. He's touched by the lostness that he sees there in that city, and it burdens his heart. And so what I want to ask us this morning as we look around our world today, as we go through our lives, and as we encounter people, what is on our minds? Are our minds just focusing on where we need to go and what we need to do and what we need to see? Are our minds open to the lostness that's all around us? Are our hearts in some way moved by what we see? You know, I know that some people uh, have certain conditions. You know, some people are OCD. There are just some people that would look up here and they would see something that's just a little bit off-centered, would see one of these little, uh, uh, these little cloths on, the other, on these, this Lord's Supper, uh, Lord's Supper table and see that it was just off-center and their mind would just focus on it and they just couldn't see anything else, they couldn't hear anything else and they would just have to get up and they would just have to come move that cloth because it was so on their mind. Are those the kind of things that are weighing down our hearts and our thoughts and our minds? Are our hearts solely focused to the lostness that we see in the world today? And once we see it, do we have that conviction to do something about it? Let's read together in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 17. We're going to begin with verse number 16. It says, Now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked Within him, as he saw the city, was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogues and the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace and every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoke philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others says he seems to be a preacher of, a foreign, of foreign deities. 
because he is preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the uh, Arigapas, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians uh, and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling and hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious, for I have passed along and observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with an inscription to the unknown God, what therefore you worship as a known, this I proclaim to you, that God has made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of the dwelling of their dwelling places. And they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him to find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much, Lord, for all the many things that you've given to us. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you have revealed to us your scripture. Lord, we thankful that you have revealed to us your way of salvation. And Lord, I pray this morning, Lord, that we our hearts are moved, our hearts are provoked to the lostness, to the idolatry, to the false religions, Lord, to the idols that we see in this world, Lord, and that we respond to it with the gospel. Lord, we search in our hearts, Lord, to see that lostness, but to minister it in everywhere we go and everyone that we meet. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Jesus was waiting for the rest of his companions to, uh, to come from, uh, from Thessalonica and from, uh, from Berea and other places because Paul had gotten run out of those towns. And uh, so he had to go on ahead, and so he was waiting for them to catch up. And he comes in there to the city of, uh, of Athens. And as he gets into the city of Athens, he kind of he looks around at what he sees. You know, it's just amazing that when you first go into a town or when you pass through a town, when you're on a road trip, you just kind of look around to, uh, to, to see what's there. And that kind of gives you an impression of what type of city that is. Uh, it always like uh, seemed interesting to me when, uh, when we would take road trips and we'd come down uh, the, through the highways and uh, all that, and I'd look around, and we'd just get to these little small communities that some of them wouldn't even have a, a stoplight. You know, they would just have those uh, little speed bumps before you get to the stop sign. You know, so you know to get to town. And as you go to that, as you get ready to stop at that stop sign, you look around. And I always noted on one side of the road was a Baptist church, and on the other side of the road was a liquor store or a place to buy a beer. And I was like, I wonder if that's the same group. They just go across the street from Saturday night to Sunday morning, and that's kind of what they do. So you think about what type of town that is. 
And then you just kind of go into a, another little town, and you look around, and you see, well, there's a Dollar General, there's a Family Dollar, there's a Super 10, there's all these little dollar stores. So you know that this is probably some kind of a, some kind of podunk, redneck, poor town. And then you drive up to Madison, and you look around, and just everything's just bricked up. Everything's just kind of nice. You know, none of the uh, stores or none of the restaurants have signs on them, so you don't know where you are or where you're going. And you realize, hey, this is just kind of an uppity place. I need to get out of here before they call the cops on me. And so you get an impression of a city when you walk into it, and it kind of brings thoughts into your mind. And so as Paul walks into, his, uh, into the city of Athens, he kind of looks around, and he sees all these idols there's a statue over here of this God. There's a statue over here of this God. There's a statue. Over, I mean, there's just idols all over the place. And his heart is provoked. I wonder what the nature of the provoking of his heart. Is it a provoking, in other words, that he is dismayed, that he is aggravated, that there's just so much paganism in this town, that they have so many gods, that they have so many idols? Or is it provoked in the same way that Jesus was provoked when he saw all of these idols? He realized that these people were trying so hard to find their way to God, but yet they were so, so lost. As Jesus would say, they were looked like sheep without a shepherd. They were searching to find something and find their way, but they just couldn't find it. And so as Paul walked in this city, his heart was provoked because of their lostness. Isn't that amazing that that was what was on his mind when he would look on the city? Where's this city at spiritually? Where's this city at in their relationship with God. A lot of times when we walk into cities, a lot of times when we walk into buildings, we'll notice like decorations. We'll notice this is the kind of people I want to be around or I don't want to be around. But how many times are our hearts drawn to what is the spiritual state of these people? And how many times are our hearts are provoked because of their lostness? Because if you sort of look at our nation today, we have so many idols. We have so many people who have thoughts about God and have thoughts about how we got here. And as much as they try to think with their mind, they come so far short. In our hearts, we need to be provoked by the level of lostness that we see. And he sees this level of darkness, I mean, this level of lostness. Now, he's not like me and you, because when I see something that I don't like, when I see something that's not right, when I see lostness, when I see sin, when I see things that provoke in my heart, you know what I do? I just complain about it. I just gripe about it. It's like, man, did you see, man, Athens, man, I went to Athens this week, buddy, and they had just so many... Idols, man, they were so lost, man. It was just a terrible place. I'm glad I don't live there. And that's the way that we are. It's that judgmental attitude that we talked about a few weeks ago. But yet he saw this lostness. He saw the state that this city was in. And he says, you know what? It's up to me to do something about it. 
He didn't call the preacher. He didn't call somebody else, but he saw this lostness and said, look, I need to do something about this. So what does he do? First of all, he starts in the synagogue. That's where his, uh, his first stop was. The people who actually knew and believed into the scriptures. And what did he do? He would reason with those people in the synagogues, reason with both just the Jews and the devout men. In other words, those people who weren't ethnic Jews and maybe who were not proselyte Jews, but sort of hung around that Jewish tradition because they in some way feared God, and so they were the closest people to the revelation of God. So he would go with them, and he would start with them, and then he would reason with them into the Scriptures to try to convince them that Jesus is the Messiah. But he didn't stop there. Then he would go into the marketplaces. He would go on the street corners. Now, it's different uh, than what it would be for us that we would have uh, being on the street corners. And you remember all the uh, street corner preachers that you used to have back in the 50s and 60s and all that. There would just be somebody on the street corner just yelling about how the end is coming, and they were trying to preach, and they were trying to lead people to Jesus. But in the marketplaces there, it was actually an exchange of ideas. It was where you would go to talk about things. You think about when you go to a barber shop. Or you go to the beauty shop. That's a place where people go, and they're not just getting their hair cut, but they're talking about things. You think about, like, going down to, uh, to uh, I know, like, we had Starks, and it may be the same way at Zips. Uh, there was the people that were there to eat, but there was always, like, this table there in the back. And at the back table were all like the, the higher-ups, you know, and they would just sit around, and they just sit around the table, and they would talk about this or that. So they would go to the places where the conversations and the ideas were being discussed. But a lot of times as Christians, we have got to the disposition where we don't go to those places. We don't want to be in those areas away from the church where ideas are being discussed. But what Paul wants us to know is that's where we need to be. Because where people are talking about ideas, when people are talking about knowledge, that's where we need to be because we have the knowledge that doesn't come from man, but rather the knowledge that comes from God. So he'd go to all the places where people were talking about ideas, where people were talking about God, and he would try to reason with them. Well, what were some of the ideas that were there? Well, we see in these next verses that there were some among them who were the Stoics and the Epicurean philosophers. And so that gives you two of the ideas, two of the idols that were represented. First of all, you had the Stoics. Who were the Stoics? Well, we all uh, may be familiar with the word Stoic, you know, someone who is Stoic. They're just sort of uh, plain, and they're just sort of unemotional. And that kind of gives you a hint about what their worldview, because they thought that the events of the world, that we were just all subject to just a cold and dark fatalism. That just what happened, happened, and there was just nothing that you could do about it. You know, the world is just completely in chaos. It just kind of runs and does what it wants to. There's really no order to it, and we just have to survive life. That's why they're so unhappy. And then there was the Epicureans. And the Epicureans thought that the greatest good 
is found in pleasure. And so if we look around our world today, just thinking about those two, it represents ideas that you would find in our world today. We have a lot of the seculars who go around and say, you know what, you know, this world's not a creation. It's just happened by accident, and uh, you're nothing. You're just material and matter, and uh, we just kind of have to deal with life as it is and make the best of it possible. And then we find people in the day that just think the greatest gift, the greatest thing is for us to find our bodily pleasure. And so we just chase after the next, the pleasure. And we go from one thing to another thing. And we just run down the road of just from one abomination to a greater abomination. And so he's speaking to these Stoics and he's speaking to these Epicureans and what he is preaching to them is completely different than what they believe. And they all say, that sounds strange. What is this babbler talking about? And I know y'all have that up on your walls and say, this is what I say every Sunday morning during this damn Brother Tim's sermon. What's that babbler talking about? And so they said, well, I'm hearing this one thing, I'm hearing this one. Let's get them together. Let's get them together there in the Areopagus. And I know I didn't say that right, but I said it with confidence, and I'm sticking with it. And so he met, let's have a meet at the Areopagus. There in the town square, where we do nothing but spend our days talking about something new. And let's see what he has to say. A lot of people searching, trying to find the answers, trying to find something new. Who had the greatest idea? And Paul was going to get the opportunity to speak there. And I want us to pay attention to his message. And I want us to pay attention to a couple of things. Because what he does here in these next couple of verses, some we read today, some we'll talk more in depth next week. But uh, he lays forth the gospel. He lays it forth to a group of people who aren't familiar with the Scriptures. And so he's not quoting specifically this or that for a lot of you who are worried about that, but he just lays forth the gospel to people who really don't believe in a God at all are people who have just reason in their mind and imagine in their mind of what God will be. So as we look through and as you read through how he addresses them. Let this be a pattern in our life about how we can share the truth of God with other people around us, especially as we live in a world that is further and further and further away from a biblical tradition or a biblical understanding. Listen to, listen to what he says first of all. So Paul standing in the midst, this is verse number 22. So Paul standing in the midst of the Areopagus said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For I passed along and I observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. He said, I, 
I see that you're seeking after God. I see that you're very religious. I see that you want to understand God. I see that you want to understand the origins of the world. I I see that you want to understand how we got here. I see you want to understand the purposes of life. And since I see so many, I can conclude that you have not come to a consensus. You and all of your wisdom as a group have not come to an understanding because one group thinks this and they have an idol for what they believe. One group thinks this and and, and they have an idol for that. And then one group has this idea about how we got here and why we're here and what happens to us to die. And they have a statue for that. And you have not come to a consensus. And all of you feel a sense of uncertainty about your idol because you put an idol there in the back that says, to the unknown God. Just in case all of us are wrong, we want to make sure we got that covered. They were searching, but yet they weren't finding. And that describes the lost world today. They are searching. They are searching for something, but they're not finding it. Some rode down the road of pleasure, and they're not finding meaning in that. Some rode down the road of science and naturalism and secularism. And they're not finding either the meaning to any of that. They're all searching, but they're not finding. Believes what he says. He says, What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. And listen to what he says in these next two verses. He says that uh, the God who made the world and everything in it, uh, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. What does it say, first of all? First of all, he says that we are a creation of God. That's the first thing he wants us to know. And that's the first sense of theology that he brings to me that he brings to them. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it. We are a creation. Someone spoke us into existence. He has given us design and he has given us purpose. We are not an accident. And so that's the first thing he wants to say, that the God who made the world and everything in it. And listen to what that next statement, being Lord of heaven and earth. And so in other words, since we are, there is a creator, him by being the creator is Lord. He is Lord over his creation. There's a relationship. There's the creator, and then there is the creation. And the creator is Lord over his creation. All right? And so there's an implication of that he wants to bring to us. It says... Um, uh, he does not live in temples made, uh, made by man. And so what he's saying here is, is that we need to understand since he is the creator and this is a creation, he cannot possibly be represented by anything that is a part of that creation because he created it. He is above it. He is greater 
than anything that is in this creation. He's greater than the cows. He's greater than the men. He's greater than the women. He's greater than the trees. He's greater than the sun. He's greater than the wind. He's greater than the rain. He's greater than any of it, and none of it could fathom. None of it can truly give us the understanding of who God is because he is the one who created. So he can't be confined into a temple. Even when David, I mean, even when Solomon built the temple, in his prayer of dedication, he said, I know that you are Lord of heaven and earth, and I know that your glory cannot be confined to this temple, but rather this temple is just a representation. It's where we look to. It is a physical manifestation that can work as a symbol of your presence in our heart, in our life, but we know that you cannot be confined to the temple. So he can't be confined or represented by here upon this earth, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. You know, all those uh, jihadists over there thinking that God needs their help. All these people who worship the idols, they'll come and they'll bring their idol food. They'll come and they'll move their idol around. But our Lord is the creator, and he doesn't live in temples. And he doesn't need anything from us. But rather, rather, everything we need comes from him. Listen to what he says. As though he needed him, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And everything that we have comes from the Lord. And not only is he the creator, not only is he Lord, but he is active. In history. Listen to what he says. And he made for one man every nation of mankind to live all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries and their dwelling place. Don't you know the Lord is in control of all? The Lord determines whether the Mississippi has water or it doesn't have water. He determines where the oceans go. He determines the rising and the setting of the sun. And he determines when nations rise and when nations fall. And as we see all the seeming chaos unfolding across the world, we understand that it all comes under the sovereign hand of God. And so we know that he is active in history, not only predicting it, not only forecasting, but rather bringing it about. But then he wants to reveal of the purpose of his creation, the purpose of us being here upon this earth. And what is our purpose? What is the reason for us being on the earth? That we should seek God, and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him.
We were created to worship. We were created to know God. And Adam and Eve kind of messed that up for us. And so we really don't know exactly, truly how to get to God. But he desires that all of us would feel our way towards him. And those people who were there in their room, by the witness of all the idols uh, that they had, testify that that is true because they were all trying to feel their way to God. They were all trying to figure it out, and they all seemed to be at a loss. They all seemed to say, you know what, we can't really figure it all out. We can't really answer all the questions, and so they were kind of feeling around the room, and, and, and they weren't quite getting there. And so it just seems that God was just so far from them that they couldn't be found, that they really couldn't understand. But what does he tell to them? Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Isn't it great to know even as we are feeling our way, trying to find God, and we seem so lost and we can't find it, but the good news of the gospel is God comes looking after us. God is seeking us out. And even though he may seem so far from us, he's just right there next to us, waiting for us to see him. Yeah, I know so many times I'll have things sitting right there in front of me, and I can't see it especially if it's something that's the same color. I'll set something down on the stove, and I'll say, man, where did I put that? And it's right there in front of me because I can't see it. God is all around us. The evidence of his glory and his existence and his design is evident. It's right there in front of us all. But sin and Satan has blinded us and has blinded the world, but what Jesus has called us to do is to work in concert with the Holy Spirit to open the people's eyes that they may see that we are his creation, that he needs nothing for us, but yet he rules over us and gives us all things. That his desire for us is to know him and worship him. And he's right there waiting for us. Will we open our eyes to see the lostness of the world? Will it provoke our hearts? And will it cause us to share and help to open people's eyes so that they may see what the Lord has graciously shown us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your Holy Spirit and how he reveals himself to us. And Lord, I pray that you will reveal yourself to us now. Lord, that you will begin to show yourself, Lord, to this community. Lord, all those who are lost, all those who are trying to find their way through the world, 
Lord, I pray that you will draw them near. Lord, but I pray that you will also provoke our hearts to see the lostness of the world and let us overcome the fear that we don't have all the answers to give us the courage to share the simple truth of your gospel. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand and sing.